What up, people? Hello, hello, hello. Hey, hey, hey. It's Laura. And this is Ordine. And welcome to What Happens After Dark. The creepy things that crawl around. The slithers. The slitherings (laughs) from Harry Potter. (laughs) I know, the slitherings. <laughs> That's Ash's favorite because it's green and black, and she loves. Those oh, two she colors. loves green. Yeah, they love those two colors together. All Harry Potter team. I love Harry Potter. Gryffindor. Oh, is it Gryffindor? Yeah, Gryffindor. Yeah. Yep. I just always never wanted to be a Hufflepuff because I'm like, they're so airheaded. Like, yeah. I, even though Luna, it doesn't Luna love good from Hufflepuff. I think she is. Yes, yeah, she is. I love Luna love good. Yeah. I have so many people that in work different workspaces that used to call me like Luna Lovegood oh, and stuff because my last name, you know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I never tie my shoes up, and I don't believe in snorkelers or whatever. <laughs> but now I kind of do believe in those things, so I guess yeah. really, yeah. I could be Luna Lovegood. Yeah, <laughs> you could be her twin or soul sister or twin soul sister. sister. Okay. I wish we could use that. I know that's one song. of my favorite songs. I, I love, love I that. love that song. So this is like, guys, this is going to be a good episode, but it's our last one of season of one. Season one. Episode twenty-five. Five. We made our first yes. season. We are ecstatic. Yep. We happy. started this on December tenth. Yes. And here we are, April. I don't even know what day. April nine. Oh my gosh! Almost to the day. Oh my god. January, February, March. Four months to the day to the almost. Day almost. Oh my god. That's awesome though. Yes, that is so awesome. So we're gonna take a break for a couple weeks and come back on May 14th. 14. I think it's Mother's Day. Yep. So that's when we'll record Again. the first episode of season two, which is going to be epic it is going to be really epic yes and it's just it's going to be amazeballs something else about this episode is something we haven't done before which is combining um true crime with paranormal paranormal yes because there's both of those Mm -hmm. things in this episode just like the one we're starting with on may on may 14 it's a combination of two cases one true crime and one paranormal and it's gonna blow your socks off because nobody has ever put these two and two together nope but um, our dean over here knew mm-hmm. the key and so when we bring it to you on may 14th you guys are gonna be mind blown oh yeah harder than a blow dryer oh yeah almost like blow job <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's why I looked up like Okay, it's a dryer. But no, then I said the thing too. So. Yeah. <laughs> this is when it's not kid friendly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not rated R. <laughs> but I want to tell you, did you? I mean, I've been reading reports on the internet. I don't know if it's true or not. And he's one of my most favorite actors, Jack Nicholson. Oh, I yes. Love him. I The Shining, I love. The love. Shining. I've never seen Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, though. Have you seen that one? Mm-mm. It's, like, very old. And I don't know if it was his first one, but he was damn good looking in his younger oh, age. yes. And yes. he does comment. Some of my favorites is, like, As Good As It Gets uh-huh. with Helen Hunt. And... Um, the one with, uh, she's like, it's not, it's complicated. Oh gosh. Her anger management. Oh my gosh. That was so, 
fun. I think I want to watch that one now. Yeah. I love that movie. That's so funny. <laughs> But he he made The Shining Man. He made he was so he was perfect for that yeah, role. He was so spot on. I mean, I don't even know what his film, you know, legacy is. I'm sure it's probably hundreds of movies. Oh and, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, but it's one with Diane Keaton, the beach setting, and he has a heart attack and has to stay in her house. Oh yeah, yeah. There's something's got to give. Something's, something's got to give. I love yeah, that movie. I that <laughs> a lot. I love that movie. But what I was reading is that they said maybe he has dementia. You never know. He's at that age. It could be possible. It just... It that would be heart. very sad. Yeah. It's like with Bruce Willis and yeah. his. I mean, these are like... And when Robin Williams killed himself, these guys are like iconic people in yes. like my life that mm-hmm. I've watched. I mean, Mork and Mindy, man. I love that show. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, with... Uh, Pam... Pam yeah. Dobler or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, these no, guys. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. I used I just I grew up watching these guys and Jack Nicholson definitely has made a huge imprint on my life as far as like movies go because he's iconic. He's a giant, you yes. know. And he can do anything. Any role. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Something it? so creepy as The Shining to yeah. something so funny as Angry Management. Yeah. Hopefully it's just a rumor. Hopefully yeah, it's not hopefully, true. Because that would be very sad. Yeah. So, so what? what's up with Bruce Willis? You said he... Oh, Bruce Willis. He he had some kind... He has some kind of rare brain disorder where this is why he stepped away from acting because he can't remember. It, it affects his ability to speak, speak, his ability to remember. And on top of it, now it's created like dementia too. Like he's going down fast. And I just... I did not know that. Yeah. I love Bruce Willis so much. And I'm so sad and I understand him wanting to take a step back and spending the rest of his memorable years with with his his family family, of course yeah Yeah. definitely and every video that I see that Demi posts and his new wife Mm -hmm. you know you know it's all about family and they're Mm -hmm. all together it doesn't matter that Demi's an ex they're all involved involved yes and there was one where they were doing his birthday Uh uh-huh yes yeah yeah Oh my God, that's so sad. Yeah, the movies, the Red, you know, Red One and Two. Mm-hmm. Those are two of my most favorite movies ever, and um, he's just, done so many too. Yeah, Bruce Willis is iconic too. And what, what was the show he used to come out with? Sybil Shepherd, um, like in the eighties. It was a TV show, Moonlight or. Mo- Oh my gosh, Moonlighters or my mom and I used to watch it all the time. Mm, I was in Ecuador in the eighties, so I wouldn't. You don't know? No. Okay. So, yeah, I'm looking it up right now, guys, because that's going to drive me crazy. Um, TV show. Let's see. It's like Moonlighters or Moon... uh, Moonlighting. That's one with Sybil Shepard. Moonlighting. That was... I loved this TV show. And he has hair. I mean, I don't even picture him with hair anymore because... He's just bald. He's bald. And yeah, I think he's men are he freaking gorgeous. sexy. Gorgeous man. I love he bald men. He is so gorgeous. I mean, if you... Then, and he's gorgeous now, and he'll yes. be gorgeous forever. Too. Yes, yes. He is absolutely gorgeous. But, yeah, I mean, life affects us all, What? What? you know, however that Age. looks like. Age yeah. gets to you. I Age mean, I feel sucks. it. Yeah. I feel it big time, so... Yeah. But, yeah. Bones. But we love our... I love the movie, so... Yeah. 
Oh, anyways, that's our our sad thing we're kind of pondering. Anything happening this week that we're happy about? Um, gosh, I can't think of anything. I think we've discussed them all. Um, oh, oh, my daughter Ash is going to come live with me for just a little bit okay. here soon. Nice. I'm excited about that. Nice. Um, I've talked about, I think I've have her big, she, are they, sorry, I'm trying to get used to they, them. She's, uh, they are non-binary. Um, they have, a, I call her Big Gaia. So okay. I bought her Big Gaia yeah. at Synchronicities. And I've had this um, beautiful Big Gaia in my living room. And when Ash does get moved into their own apartment, they're going to take Big Gaia away. And I'm like so sad. Oh, no. I love the Big she Gaia. She is so beautiful. So I've decided I'm buying a Big Gaia as soon yes. as I can. Because I love the, maybe not the biggest one like I bought Ash. Because that was quite costly. But uh, maybe a smaller one. Like I a, just want to have that presence in my home. Because it definitely has brought a lot of yes. peace. It's beautiful. Yeah. She's just so beautiful. Oh, I love it. I love oh. Gaia. But yeah, I'm so, so glad she's thing. doing so much better. Yeah, she is in the road of recovery. Yeah, feeling better, feeling better, doing better. Yeah. I am so proud of how much she has changed. Yeah, and realized in where she's at right now. Yeah, is she's like a total, completely different person. Yeah, and she is. I I love it. Yeah. Their, their light is back, it. and that's what makes me happy. So The shine is back in her eyes. Yes, yes, yes. And she, and they finally know more about who they are, and that's important yes. in your life to know yes. who you are. Exactly. And, you know, when you get married, sometimes you lose yourself, yeah. you know, and that's when you're amazing. in a bad relationship like I lost myself. Me too. It took me and years. And it took me years to find myself again and to realize, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, this is ridiculous. And so, and the, what, what I was putting my kids through, so it's hard. It's yeah, not it's hard. an easy step to make. It takes a lot of willingness to change. Courage. Courage. Yeah. And strength. And so I got to give it to her for doing that. And she did it fairly quick. Yeah. Yeah. She did it. She's rock. They are rocking it big time. Yes. They really are. Yes. I'm so happy for her. Yeah. So proud of her. For sure. Yeah. So we got a little crazy. Yes. So let me give the disclaimer. Yes, episode. Um, what happens after dark does not condone violence or murder. We're here just to present the facts of some really screwed up individuals. So the one that I'm doing is the very first true crime podcast um, that I heard with the Morbid Girls. Oh, love, love them. them. And um, Morbid. So the girls from Morbid. And they did uh, the Velasca um, murder, axe murders. Axe murders. And that's the first one I heard. And I just was I was hooked yes From that moment on I was hooked um before that I always was like a Sherlock Holmes junkie yeah. or, you know I always have Murder loved true yeah. but this was like this was real like this mm-hmm. really did happen yeah and it just I was I was sunken so I I my site said I got everything um is the, the www.velascaiowa.com that's the website 
um, Wikipedia and Find a Grave. I've really started looking at Find a Grave um, because there's a lot of information on those and um, little tidbits and stuff. Not on all of them, but I in the last couple that I've done, I go look at Find a Grave and and see. Because I also like to see like where some of these, this family was not the serial killers, but I like looking at them for the serial killers to see like where they're buried. Um, Because someday I would like to go visit their graves and not because i'm honoring them but because i just want to because we want to throw some more dirt on them yeah there you go (laughs) here have a big rock (laughs) (laughs) um so i don't know if you guys have ever heard of this story before i'm sure you have especially if you listen to podcasts it's been done a lot but again it's one of my favorites so the velas uh velisca axe murders occurred between the evening of june 9th 1912 in the early morning of June 10th, 1912, in the town of Villisca, Iowa, in the United States. The six members of the Moore family and two guests were found bludgeoned in the Moore residence. All eight victims, including six children, had severe head wounds from from an axe. A lengthy investigation yielded several suspects, one of whom was tried twice. The first trial ended in a hung jury and the second ended in an acquittal. Um, the crime does remain unsolved. And That's it's so insane now that... It's like I'm, over 90 years yeah. and it's still unsolved. Yeah, they'll never be able to, no. to solve it, no. um, to bring, you know, peace. I don't know, maybe... That that's not a true statement because maybe the person that actually did do it maybe kept a diary or passed stories down into the family. You never know. That could come out later. You just you never yeah. know. You know, back then they hid stuff in the houses in the walls and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So and that house is still there. Mm-hmm. You and it's a creepy looking little house, I'll say. Yes. That. And there's tours. And don't worry, I got my share of hauntings from this story. So, yes, coming up. (laughs) Yeah, this is another one we definitely want to visit someday. Yes. Um, So on July 10th, 1912, um, a quiet residential street in this small town sits an old white frame house. On a dark evening, the absence of lights and sounds are the first indication to visitors that this house is different from the other homes that surround it. Upon closer inspection, you'll notice its doors and windows are tightly closed and covered. An outhouse in the backyard suggests that this house does not occupy occupy a place in the 21st century, but somehow belongs in another era or another story. A weather-beaten sign hanging from the um, decrepit front porch warns rather than welcomes. It is the murder house. Um, the walls still protect the identity of the murderer or murderers who bludgeoned, bludgeoned to death the entire family of Josiah Moore and to overnight guests on July 10th, 1912. Almost 97 years mm-hmm. later, her secret continues to draw many visitors. Um, so let's talk about the victims um, a little bit. And... Uh, you know, kind of like what their day, what their lives looked like, mm-hmm. um, and it seemed they were they were definitely people that were like predominant in the in the community. Um, so the Moore family consisted of parents Josiah B, age forty three, Sarah Montgomery, thirty nine, and their four children, Herman Montgomery, Mary Catherine, Arthur Boyd, and Paul Vernon. An affluent family, the Moors were well-known and well-liked in their community. 
On June 9, 1912, Mary Catherine Moore invited Ina May, 8, and Lena Gertrude Stillinger, 12, to spend the night at the Moore residence. That evening, the visiting girls in the Moore family attended the Presbyterian Church where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah had coordinated. After the program ended at about 9.30 p.m., the Moores and the Sillinger sisters walked to the Moores house, arriving between 9.45 and 10. Um, so let's talk a little bit about each person now. So Josiah Moore, um, Josiah B. Moore, was one of Alaska's most prominent businessmen. Josiah had amassed significant wealth by his 30s. At the time of his death, he was survived by his parents, Mr. and Mrs. C.C. Moore of Alaska, brothers John Moore of Summerfield, Kansas, George Moore of Portland, Oregon, and Fen Moore of Red Oak, James, Charlie, Ross, and Harry of Alaska, and sisters, them, they had a huge family, mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. George Fisher of Alaska, and Miss Minnie Moore of Omaha, many more. <laughs> many more. <laughs> um, Josiah married Sarah Montgomery on December 6th of 1899 at the home of her parents. Josiah and Sarah Moore had four children, Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul. Josiah had been a resident of Villisca for 13 years and was employed by Frank Jones at the Jones store for nine years. Um, Sarah was born in Knox County, Illinois, in 1873 and moved to Iowa Iowa with her parents, Mr. and Mrs. John Montgomery and her sister Mary in approximately 1894. Wow. Um, She was 39 years old and the mother of four children when she was murdered in her bed. Um, She was an active member of the Presbyterian Church and led the Children's Day exercises on June 9th. Um, her sur- she outlet or she her surviving people were her parents, um, Mrs. Mary Van Gilder, her sister Kate uh, Faye Van Gilder, her niece Lee Van Gilder nephew, and Mrs. Mary um, King King Ann, uh, grandmother who lived with the Montgomery family. Among the suspects immediately after the murders was Sarah's brother-in-law Lee Van Gilder, the oh, ex-husband cool. of Sarah's sister Mary Van Gilder and had a few previous uh, brushes with the law enforcement and was known to be prone to violence. Although he and his wife had divorced, there was apparently bad blood between the two for him to be a suspect. Um, He was later cleared. If he was a suspect, he would have killed them, not the other family, right? Not his own family, but he slaughtered. Yeah. Maybe he was jealous of Joseph for the amount oh, of wealth. Could be. Josiah, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so this is from DocuBlogger. Um, John Montgomery saw his daughter for the last time on June second, nineteen or yeah, nineteen twelve, um, when Villisca, Iowa, axe murder victim Sarah Moore's father, John Montgomery, testified before the nineteen seventeen grand jury investigating the murders. He spoke about a visit with his daughter and son-in-law on Sunday, June 2nd, 1912. Joe and Sarah Moore and their four children took their team and wagon a mile out of town to visit Sarah's parents. They did this at least once a month and Montgomery said Montgomery on Sunday afternoons. Um, Joe and Sarah always seemed affectionate to one another. If there was ever any problem, they kept it undercover. Um, he testified, Montgomery said that he liked his son-in-law and got along with him fine. Um, the Montgomerys were proud of their daughter and her family. 
Um, Sarah, he said, was in good health and did her own housework and washing. She was a very neat housekeeper and she kept her children tidy. He also said Sarah saw to it that the children went to Sunday school every Sunday morning. Um, That is why they never came out to our place Sunday um, forenoon, said Montgomery. Joe and Sarah always seemed to be happy and cheerful when they were around, just as cheerful as any people could Could be. be. Gosh, what a sweet father. Yeah. Um, During her grand jury testimony, Villisca resident Mrs. Glockmeyer noted that a large number of peddlers were present in town during the days leading up to the murder. She recalled a man coming by who offered to clean wallpaper. She also remembered a tall, dignified gentleman, nicely dressed, who walked up and down the street. Some thought he was a foreigner, with more than two dozen scheduled Burlington Line trains a day stopping in Villisca. Strangers in town um, drew no particular notice from locals until later. Um, Within one week of Joe and Sarah's family visit with the Montgomery's, the couple, their four children, and two overnight guests were brutally murdered in their sleep. And it's just the way these people... Why the kids? Um, So a little bit about the children. Herman was the eldest of the Moore children. He was born in 1901 and was 11 years old at the time of his death. Um, It was said that Herman was quite his father's son and was often seen at his side. Catherine, born just two years after Herman in 1903, was 10 years old when she was killed. Um, Boyd and Paul were the youngest Moore children. Um, They were seven and five, respectively, at the time of their murders. Only one photograph of the two boys ever uh, has been presented, um, and I'll get those posted for you guys. Um, a little bit about the visitors. So Lena Gertrude Stillinger and her sister Ina May were the daughters of Joseph and Sarah Stillinger. Both girls were born on the Stillinger family farm just outside of Villisca. Lena was 12 years old when she was murdered, and from the position of her body, it was concluded that she was the only victim that had attempted to fight off her attacker. Um, many experts have also suggested that Lena was a victim of some kind of sexual molestation by her killer. Um, and I just think about, like, the parents must have felt so much guilt because they let their kids go. Sleep over. They let them go have something that is totally normal with a good family friend. Yes. And then that was the last time they ever saw their kids. Oh, that breaks my heart. Holy yeah. cow. Um, so on a website called allthat'sinteresting.com, uh, it says on June 10th, uh, 1912, the Moore family was sleeping peacefully in their beds. Joe and Sarah Moore were asleep upstairs while their four children were resting in a room down the hall. In a guest room on the first floor were their two girls, the Sillinger sisters, who had come for a sleepover. Shortly after midnight, a stranger entered through the unlocked door, which is not uncommon, especially back yeah, there in a small then, town. yeah. You know, um, and plucked an oil lamp from a nearby table, ringing it to burn so low it supplied light for barely one person. On one hand, the stranger held the lamp, lighting the way through the house. In his other, he held an axe. Ignoring the sleeping girls downstairs, the stranger made his way up to the stairs, guided by the lamp and a seemingly unerring knowledge of the home's layout. He crept past the room with the children and into Mr. and Mrs. Moore's bedroom. Then he made his way to the children's room and finally back down to the bedroom downstairs. In each room, he committed some of the 
grisliest murders in American history. Um, so all of them were dead and bludgeoned to death beyond recognition. So accounts that I read, and I, it might be further down, I just want to address it now, is that this person had swung the axe so high and so hard that the axe there were marks in the, the ceiling where the axe cut through the ceiling yeah yes and so I he had to be someone forced. tall yes that was one of the speculations i remember that from morbid them discussing that and just because of how that yes back then ceilings were a little bit shorter, shorter. than these farm horse houses it still would have had to be somebody that was taller yes and the strength that that person had to swing the axe so hard to leave a mark that it scraped through the ceiling and then come down and just beat these people's heads with it so, oh my yeah god so just girl and i don't know i think one of the theories that i remember the morbid girls talking about was that they you know and i this is a theory that i picked up and believe the most is that this person who did this was probably a transient because it, like they said the train was right there jump on one of the trains, trains and then go gone, gone. Yeah. like never seen again just get off kill yeah and get back on the next mm -hmm. a freaky deaky yeah and it i mean they never <coughs> connect anywhere that i've read anyways where there's like maybe the next town down town, that's what i was happened. gonna say if there was more mm -hmm. no there it was, was no. like it was a one-time thing then it had to have been someone close to the family then yeah that i don't know for some reason didn't like him or something. Yeah, or a town. So maybe he, somebody in the business world felt like they ru he rubbed them wrong, so mm -hmm. he's gonna go kill their family. Kill them and go. Dump, yeah, you know, someone that mm -hmm. had something against him. Yeah. So. Because that's a lot of rage that for someone that doesn't. I mean, I could see him maybe offing the parents, but why go to the children? Children. I mean, this right there ended that man's family line. Yes. Like there was nothing, nothing. more now. So you're right on that. I real that's a yeah, that's a good yeah. Um, so the police determined that the more parents had been murdered first with obvious force, the axe that had been used to kill them had been swung. Here we go. So high above the murderer's head that it gouged the ceiling above the bed. Ugh. Joe alone had been hit with the axe at least 30 times. Um, the faces of both parents as well as the children had been reduced to nothing but a bloody pulp. Yeah. And to kill that, I mean, to... To use the axe 30 times, that that could drain you, like, physically. And that was just him alone? Well, it, that was him alone. But think about it. Like, if like there's been times where I've even gotten so angry that it's, like, I feel empowered. Oh, like, okay. you know, and, I mean, I haven't done anything. But, yeah. you know, there. and so I think if somebody is that enraged, they have, like, a superhero power. Like, when they talk about people that have taken ecstasy or, mm -hmm. in you know, LSD, and they have this insane power, and the police are like, we couldn't even, like, it took, like, eight of us to it try to hold, hold this person down. down. And okay. so, I think when you start seeing red. All that adrenaline. Yeah, it's, that's the end of it. Oh, my um, God. Let's see. So, after murdering the Moors, the killer had apparently set up some kind of ritual. He had covered the Moor parents' heads with sheets and the more children's faces with clothing. He then went through each room in the house covering all of the mirrors and windows with cloths and towels. Um, so I found that interesting when the morbid girls did that, that he took the time 
to cover the mares and why what was the significance behind oh, the, covering yeah, the, mares. the mares so did he feel did this person feel guilty he didn't want to see himself mm-hmm. and see like this rage or was it just i don't know i just that doesn't what yeah. does that mean like yeah i don't i that's i've always wondered that for this whole thing and i couldn't find anything on it um, but it just, that has always stuck with me. Why take the time to, to cover do that? windows and yeah. the mirrors? Yeah. Strange. Um, it's just weird. And then Maybe as, in that moment of craziness, mm-hmm. you know, he's like, oh, I'm just going to cover so no one f- can see from the outside. But then why the mirrors? Cause you can't see from them. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy weird. It's such uh-huh. a weird thing. And this. They say, you know, sometimes mirrors are, mirrors are portals. They are. Uh, that's why you will not find a mirror in my house except for the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, the previous roommate that I lived with had a big gold-framed mirror above mm-hmm. our TV. And we kept having crazy-ass issues. And Ash came over, and they looked at that mirror, and they were just like, this is a portal. You mm. guys are stupid as hell. And so yeah. um, they smudged it and closed the portal. Okay. But I, she, they taught me how to do that so that I could also do that. Okay. And that's why I just, I don't like mirrors. I Not because know. I don't like looking at myself, you know, but it's because of my training and my experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, no. You will not find a mirror except for the bathroom. And even that one, I don't spend a lot of time at. But when I do smudge, I spend a lot of time at that mirror. And mm-hmm. I smudge that one, that uh, mirror to no end. So. Hmm. Um, so then he got hungry because at some point he took out a two-pound piece of uncooked bacon from the fridge and placed it in the living room along with a keychain. Um, what the heck? <laughs> I know. Um, a bowl of water was found in the home, spirals of blood swirling through it. Police believe that the murderer had washed his hands in it before leaving. Um, by the time the police, the coroner, and a minister and several doctors had thoroughly um, uh, perused the crime scene, word of the vicious crime had spread, and the crowd outside the home had grown. Officials cautioned the townspeople against going inside, but as soon as the premises was clear, at least 100 townspeople came in. Um, to their gross fascinations. So something else I want to say is that one of them took a fragment of Joel's, of yeah, of Joe's skull as a keepsake. Oh. Um, and but how can you just wash your hands? I mean, this was so brutal. He had to have been covered in blood. Nobody saw him. He escaped. He just left. He must have changed clothes, mm-hmm. or God knows. Yep, he could have put on Joe's co- clothes. Clothes or, on, yeah, or something. But the point I want to point out here is that a hundred townspeople went in and tarnished the crime scene. My God. The police did not stop them from going in. That's ridiculous. They cautioned and said, you don't want to see this. This is really bad. Well, they want to go and see it. But they went in They didn't anyways. lock anything. Mm-hmm. Nope. So you can't look at... Footprints are gone because now you've got everybody, people, yeah, and you know all touching, the, touching everything. So there's fingerprints no are gone. Yeah, no way. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you guys. Are and she took a piece of his skull as a keepsake. Who no. would do that shit? No, no, no. That's, that's just to me. That even is like, you know how they always say a murderer will come back and be a spectator. Yes. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe one of those hundred was 
the ex spectator. He came back to see his work and see how everybody is admiring his work. Oh, yeah, because they get off on that. Yeah. And maybe the townsperson that took the fragment of skull was actually the murderer, but they wouldn't know because they just let in the whole freaking town. Um, So the way the bodies were discovered. So at 7 a.m. the next day, June 10th, Mary Peckham, the Moore's neighbor, became concerned after she noticed that the family had not come out to do their morning chores. Because keep in mind, this was a farm. And oh, my okay. grandma grew up on a farm. And I mean, there's you're up at the crack of dawn, the dawn. man. Mm-hmm. You've got to tend to the animals or yeah. whatever. But nothing. So Peckham um, let the Moore's chickens out and called Ross Moore, Josiah's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted, Ross unlocked the front door. So when it, this is something that kind of triggered me because they said that they leave the doors open so that whoever killed them locked it when they left. When they left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a copy of the house key. So while Peckham stood on the porch, Ross went into the parlor and opened the guest bedroom door where he found Ina and Lena Sillinger's bodies on the mm-hmm. bed. Moore immediately told Peckham to call Henry Hank Horton, Velasquez's primary peace officer, who arrived shortly after. Um, Horton's search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and two Sillinger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon, an axe belonging to Josiah, was found in the guest room. So he let the killer left left it, it and he killed the family with their own damn axe. He didn't even bother to bring his own murder weapon. <clears throat> Fingerprints. I know, but they didn't. That's the thing. And it, they, if they took a piece of the skull, one of the townspeople, I guarantee you they manhandled that. Oh, of course. So. Oh, my I just God. I mean, I, I love doing these two crimes, so maybe I could be a sicko, too. I'll, but I would but not I would go not into that. And keep something no. and take something? No. That's desecrating the bodies, the dignity of that. That family. is so disrespectful. Yeah. Um, let's see. The, uh, let's see. So doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5 a.m. Two okay. spent cigarettes on the attic suggest. Oh, that's right. I forgot about this part. So they found two cigarettes buds in the attic, and that suggested that the killer or killers patiently waited. Waited, according oh. to the official tour, there were no cigarettes found. So the tour says no, but documentation from the Said, said that they found this. And so they if they would have had DNA back then, I know they would have been caught. Yeah, they could have got them. Yeah. Um, so let's see. The killers began in the master bedroom where Josiah and Sarah Moore were sleeping. Um, and we already talked about how many Joe got. Um, and again, they talk about um, that how the axe had just carved into the ceiling. That um, takes a lot of force. Yes. This was someone big and strong. Well, the blows were to the extent that his eyes were missing because basically well, it just like, not that the guy took the eyes, but they it was just mush. mush. 30 so, times. I yeah. mean, how do you not disfigure a whole face with 30? Yeah. And, oh. and he didn't like, so on Joe, he didn't really like use the axe part. It was like the other side where it's like a blood, like a ball part you know but uh-huh. so he bludgeoned him but um the killer used the blade of the axe on sarah so um and she's the only one where that he actually used the axe side of it oh. and chopped <gasps> yeah yeah so to me 
That could be the brother-in-law because if he is pissed off at his wife, that's his wife's sister. Yes. Ex-wife's sister. So he chopped her. There's a, that is, yeah. Yep. So the rest I of the, do think it's the, the brother-in-law. Brother and they just never could pin it Pinnitin, on him. Yeah. Um, so the rest of the victims, all the children, they were bludgeoned in the um, same manner, not like chopped. Um, afterwards, the murderer returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows on the elders moors, knocking over a shoe that, that had filled up with blood oh. before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and killing um, Ina and Lena. Um, oh, see, my God, the shoe full of blood. Yeah, because it just drained off into that shoe. Oh. Yeah. So, investigators also found untouched food and bloody water during the search. After the search, people were led in to see what they um, could have committed the crime, completely contaminating the weapon. Um, investigators believe that all of the victims, except for Lena, and yeah, except for Lena, had been asleep when they were murdered. They thought that she was awake and tried to fight back as she was found laying crosswise on the bed and with a defensive wound on her arm. Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was wearing no undergarments. Oh, no. Leading to law enforcement to speculation that the killer sexually molested her or at least attempted to do so. Um, so let's talk about the couple of people they did have as, as suspects. Suspects, okay. So over time, many possible suspects emerge, including Reverend George Kelly, Frank F. Jones, William Mansfield, Loving Mitchell, Paul Mueller, and Henry Lee Moore. No relation. Kelly was tried twice for the murder. The first trial ended in a hung jury and then acquittal. Um, Andrew, Andrew Sawyer is another one. Um, and it says every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was a suspect in the murders. Andrew Sawyer was one of those people. He was interrogated but not charged. He also was obsessed with the murders and slept fully closed as if he was ready to make a clean getaway. And he also slept with an axe by his bed. Oh. <laughs> Reverend George Kelly. Um, Kelly was an English-born traveling minister in town, and the night of the murders, Kelly was described as peculiar, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. As an adult, he was accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. So he's, I mean, especially where Lena, it was, yes. so he could easily be one that may have, you know, been. Tried. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I had it with Millie up. A, frisk, a priest. Um, and so, <sighs> let's see. He came to Villisca to teach the children's day services. Awesome. Which is more family attended on June 9th. He left town between 5 a.m. and 5.50 a.m. on June 10th, hours before the bodies were discovered. Reverend Kelly had confessed to the murders in court, but the jury didn't believe his confession. Um, in the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators, and family of the deceased. This aroused suspicion, and a private investigator wrote back to Reverend Kelly asking for details that the minister might know about the murders. Kelly replied with great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. He, his known mental illness made authorities question whether he knew the details because of having committed the murders or was imagining the account. Um, in 1914, two years after the murders, Kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail. 
um, early form of sexting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, he was sexually harassing women who applied for a job as his secretary. Um, he was sent to Saint. Yeah, I know. He was sent to Saint Elizabeth's Hospital, the National Mental Hospital in Washington D.C. Investigators speculated again that Kelly could be the murderer of the Moore family. In 1917, Kelly was arrested for the Velasca murders. Uh, police obtained a confession from. However, it followed many hours of interrogation, and Kelly later recanted. After two separate t- trials, he was acquitted. So, you know, even though he seems very likely as yes. the killer, they still didn't is, have enough evidence. No. Then there was Frank F. Jones. Frank Fernando Jones was a Alaska resident and an Iowa State Senator. Ooh. Josiah Moore had worked for Frank Jones at his implement store for many years before leaving to open his own store. Moore reportedly took business away from Jones, including a very successful John Deere dealership. <gasps> Moore was rumored to have a sexual affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, though no evidence supports this. So, pissed off employer. Yes. Um, took business. There's another one. Um, William Mansfield. Um, another theory was that Senator Jones hired William Blackie Mansfield to murder the Moore family. Nine months before the murders at Alaska, a similar case of axe murder occurred in Colorado Springs, Colo- Colo- Colorado. Two axe murder cases followed in Ellsworth, Kansas and Paola, Kansas. I didn't know that or else I wouldn't have said the statement earlier. Um, the cases were similar enough to raise the possibility of having been committed by the same person or other murders reported as possibly being linked to these crimes, including the numerous unsolved axe murders along with the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912. And again, I apologize for my statement earlier. There were other ones. Um, the unsolved axemen of New Orleans um, killings, as well as several other such murders during this period. So right there, that kind of suggests maybe it was somebody that was jumping to train, 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 to train. and doing this. Yes. Okay. Um, the, now it makes yeah, sense. It yeah. Points to serial killer. Mm-hmm. Let's see. The murders in Colorado Springs were closely related in execution to those in the Moore house. H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham were found dead and murdered with an axe. Bed sheets were used to cover the windows to prevent oh. passerby from looking in. At the Moore house, the murderer hung aprons and skirts to cover the windows, as in the murders There's in Alaska. There's an right there. Mm-hmm. The murderer in Colorado Springs wiped the blood off his axe and covered the heads of the victims with bedclothes. You see? Mm-hmm. Mansfield was also the prime suspect of the Burns Detective Agency of Kansas City and Detective James Newton Wilkerson, who suggested that he was a cocaine-addicted serial killer. So I didn't know cocaine was that far back. Like, they had access to that. Um, According to contemporary news reports, Wilkerson believed Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law, and mother-in-law in in Blue Island, Illinois on July 5th, 1914, two years after the Velasca murders. The Axe murders committed in Paola, Kansas, four days before the Velasca murders, and the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Illinois. Definitely a serial killer. Mm -hmm. 
According to Wilkerson's investigation, all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner, yep. indicating that the same man probably committed them. Yes. Wilkerson definitely. stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of the different crime scenes on the night of the murders. In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe and the mirrors in the homes were covered. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed and a basin in which the murderer wash was found in the kitchen. In each case, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was Mansfield, who knew his fingerprints were on file in the Federal Military Prison of Leavenworth. Millie, no, you don't get to voice your opinion. Um, Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation in 1916, and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Manfield in Illinois at the time of the Velasca murders. He was released for a lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson and was awarded $2,225. Which back then, that's a lot of money. Yes. Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Manfield's release, but also in the subsequent arrest and trial of Reverend Kelly. Um, however, R.H. Thorpe, um, a restaurant owner in Shenandoah, Idaho, identified Mansfield as the man he saw in the morning after the Velasca murders, boarding a train in Clarinda. This man said he had walked from Velasca. If proven to be true, this testimony would disprove Mansfield's alibi. Furthermore, it was reported that a Mrs. Tina Tompkins of Marshalltown was on her way to testify that she heard three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. Um, there's a few more. So Henry Lee Moore, um, he was a suspected uh, serial killer. Um, and then Sam Moyer, um, this is Josiah's brother-in-law, um, and he often threatened to kill Josiah Moore. Um, but again, he had an alibi that cleared him. Um, Paul Mueller is another one that um, was at, in interest. So something that I want to point out, they, they, all, they all have like these tendencies yeah. of being a serial killer. There's so many possibilities. And so I can see why it, it remains unsolved because there's just so many. many how do you pinpoint the one? Because mm -hmm. it can't be all of them. It's got to be. be just one mm -hmm. i mean it could have been two people they kept alluding to maybe killer or killers but, but still there's a lot of suspects that yeah. make sense why they would but holy cow yeah there's a lot of uh, synchronicities there that they could have either any of those could have done it, it basically done it, any yes. of them and so a lot of the pulp culture that goes along with of course there's the paranormal side um let's see there's a podcast, um, the murders were described in episode 19, cover the mirrors of the podcast, Scared to Death, um, in 2020. There's a lot of paranormal, paranormal pop culture, which our yeah. will go over why. Um, and it was done, it was covered by Christine and um, M on, and that's why we drink in episode 21. Um, Morbid covered it, like I said. Um, it's been covered on a lot of podcasts, but the reason why I wanted to do it was because it was the first one I heard, and it is unsolved. And That's incredible. I well, just, back in that time, there wasn't a whole lot like no, today. They didn't so. have, 
And the fact that they allowed so many people to trace in. through that home after that happened. That blows my mind. Even back then, for them to do that, that was mind-blowing for me. I remember when I listened, first listened to this, like, I rewound that, like, five times. I was like, wait, what did they do? Wait, what? what? I'm just I like, like, how? Not even back then. It was a crime scene. It's a crime scene. Exactly. And, I mean, I can't, I hope that that doesn't happen now anywhere. But. Um, how small of a town was it that they were allowed to go in? Yeah, I don't know how small the town was, but Still. I think it was very, very small. And um, it just, it's like I said, it's mind-blowing to me that that was allowed and that it remains unsolved. But we presented you with so many possibilities. And I think the reason why it's unsolved because the crime scene was tempered yeah it was yeah, uh, if, it, if that uh, people wouldn't have gone in they probably would have had the evidence that they can still study today yeah to figure it out but now there's too many there's variables. too many and the one that blows me too is the one that took a piece of that a brain that is just what why? A, what does that serve and what did you do with that maybe that was a trophy no yeah Definitely. You know, who knows? Maybe it was the murder and he went and got a piece of his trophy. Yeah. Seeing the reaction of so many people, he figured, hmm, you know, how they get. Yeah. You they know. Get, get off on that shit. Oh. I, and yeah, I'm going to turn it over to Ardine to wow you some more with some paranormal. Yeah. It's, it's a little short, but it's crazy. So the disclaimer is what happens after dark does not condone violence or trespassing so when you're going to go investigate a site you always want to make sure that you ask for permission to go in so this place is like public where you can go in and do the investigation but if it didn't you would have to ask for permission so you never want to trespass hold on Millie girl oh, hold on I'm not doing my due diligence <laughs> she's trying to go on there. <laughs> she wants me to scratch her yes. So the location is 508 E 2nd Street, Villisca, uh, Iowa, 50864. They do tours from 4 p.m. to 12 a.m. They do it at night, too. And then on the weekends, they do it from 5, 4 p.m. to 9 a.m. Oh, so you can oh do an all-nighter. But it's, it's costly, so... It's like $428 all night, and you have to do a deposit of 200 But Oh, my God. So, but, yeah, it's available for people to go and investigate. So yeah, that's something we should do in the future for sure. That's my boy. Yeah, some people say that it's like the house speaks to them. Oh, wow. Yes. So there's been many visits by paranormal investigators that have provided audio, video, and photographic proof of the paranormal activity in the house. Uh, tours have been cut short by children's voices, falling lamps, moving ladders, and objects flying. Oh. Um, yeah, psychics have confirmed the presence of spirits dwelling in the home and the many have actually communicated with them and skeptics have left believers oh wow when your life is cut short you you don't have closure so you some are don't realize they're dead because they 
like they died in their sleep. So those are the residual ones that think that they're not dead. They're still wow. going on with their life. And it's like a broken record. It's just a repeating, repeating, repeating of that day. So, and the intelligent ones are the ones that actually communicate and do stuff with you. But it's insane. So there is a lady, uh, Pat Buzin. Uh She is a... Um, she has done several investigations, and so she. this is what she shares um, of her experiences. So this is her evidence. So as a summary of my personal experience at the Valeska Axe Murder House by Pat Bosom of Waukesha, Wisconsin, she said, my first visit to the Valeska Axe Murder House was in June 2009. It was a simple day tour of the house and the cemetery, but since that very day, I have been hooked. Since that time, I have spent many overnight visits at the house, and no one time have I had any regrets. As far as paranormal activity goes, the house comes through loud and proud. Over the past few years, I have accumulated many EVPs, which is uh, the voice phenomena, electronic yeah. voice phenomena. Um, so you can't hear it with your own ears, but the recorders capture that. So that's what the EVPs are from this house, both live and uh, residual. I have also called out uh, the names of the Moore children and Lena and Ina um, Stillinger, who were the victims of that fateful night to turn my flashlight on and off when asked, and they did just that. Oh, my gosh. That's a really cool effect to do. And when, you, when you're when you done and you grab it, it's cold as ice, like it's been in the refrigerator. Oh, wow. And that's a sign that something um, paranormal was messing. Because it drops the temperature. Yeah, it drops yeah. it. It freezes it. So these impressive uh, paranormals... Um, incidents occurred in the blue room where Lena and Ina were murdered and the upstairs bedroom where the four more children were murdered. I have also felt cold spots in the house that I cannot offer an explanation for, but were there. Based on my personal experiences and EVP captures, along with my own gut feeling, I believe the spirits of all eight victims still dwell within the house. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's very sad, yes. The The burning question is why. Is it due to fear and trauma as a result of the incident itself, or is it because that house is the last place they knew? You know, they're attached to the house or they don't know they're dead. Yeah. Because they were taken in their sleep. Unless that little girl that was, that woke up, Lena, but it's just, that's what happens. They, they, they linger because they don't realize they're dead. So how do you release them so they don't have to linger? I'm not sure, but I know there's probably rituals and things that you can do to help them move on. But people are probably fascinated that they're not doing that. Yeah. They want to investigate. They want to experience. And the people that are making money out of it 
are probably, you yes. know. Yeah, they're like, no. No, <laughs> we need you here. Yeah. So, or all of the above. Yeah. Or none of the above. A couple of years back, I became a member of the paranormal investigation team called International Ghost Research Society, IGRS. And we have spent a few overnights at the house gathering plenty of audio and video evidence to convince even the most hardcore skeptic that the Velisca Axe murder house is most definitely haunted. I would love to see that evidence. Yes. Is it public? Can we find it somewhere? Maybe we can try and see if it's on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Maybe. That would be interesting. Um, This house has a mystique all of its own and will rival any other allegedly haunted location. An overnight visit to this house will make most skeptics believers come sunrise in the next morning. What happened in that house in June of 1912 was terrible and tragic. It was something that never should have happened. I believe there are many secrets embedded within the town of Villisca concerning the axe murders that may never be revealed. Wow. It's true. Who knows? Could have been the whole town plotted something. In closing, I am glad I discovered the Velisca Axe Murder House as a paranormal investigation hotspot and a place to remember the victims as well. I look forward to many more memorable visits to the house. Oh my goodness. The Velisca House has been investigated several times and various uh, paranormal investigation shows had filmed there. Uh, Many teams have spent the night in the house and have reported the same experiences. They reported a feeling of heaviness from the main stairwell of the house up to the rooms upstairs. Um, There's various videos and pictures have been taken showing orbs, numerous EVPs or electronic audio phenomena has also been recorded. At 2 a.m., the train passes through the town of Velisca and it's thought that the whistle of the train triggers the residential um, events of the murder. See? Oh. So that's why I think these are residual because they don't know they're dead. And that triggers the activity. Wow. That is... Yes. I can't wait to go. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Many people have noticed a light fog filling up the bedroom just after the train whistles. It moves from one room to another, and once it dissipates, the sound of dripping blood can be heard. Oh, so do you think the killer is actually, like his, is hanging there, or is it the the family? No, it's the family. I think it's the victim's. The victims that the are sound of dripping blood. Oh <gasps> my God! I would love to capture that in an like EVP. Like water dripping from a yes. faucet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yikes. Yep. See, so that place is definitely haunted. Definitely. So yes. Do you, we need a cleansing? Yeah, we're gonna do a cleansing card on this one. Um, this one is. And Sad. I hope that families can someday find and be able to rest in peace. Uh, if we visit, I would love to release them. I know. Just I'm, and if it is because the people don't want you to release it for monetary reasons, shame on them. Yeah. 
shame on them. That's yeah. awful. Oh, gosh. Poor family. Yes. So the card that my guides chose was tranquility. Oh. So, and I feel like this kind of goes with it. Um, with this card, um, it says, it's time to reevaluate your surroundings and see if you can take make a space that is tranquil and relaxing. Clear out items that may create negative feelings and bring in more that you find joy in. We all need a quiet place to relax and recharge. So dedicate a peaceful space in your home to doing just that. It doesn't need to be a massive space. A single chair that you can fall into and relax can be enough. A calm exterior will help you foster inner peace. And a tranquil mind is one of growth. The question on it says, where can I create a tranquil space in my home, even temporarily? and I live in a tiny little studio apartment and so I don't have a lot of space but I have one space by my bed where I just moved it there actually mm -hmm. um, with my Buddhas on it and all my crystals and I have a chair that I pull out and I just kind of sit there each morning mm -hmm. and find that tranquil spot so I challenge you guys to do the same to find that spot so that you can have that in your home and and after something like hearing like what we just heard, you know, just finding even a mind space so you can kind of release the heaviness of this episode. Well, um, maybe these victims yeah. need tranquility. Yeah. Maybe they need someone to help them, you know, pass on. Yeah, help them cross over to the bright yeah. side and and not have to keep reliving the horrific, horrific every day for oh. about a hundred almost hundred years. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's just, that's it's awful. very sad. But, um, yeah, it was a pleasure to bring this one to you guys. Um, uh, it is heavier, but I like how Ardeen can, and I can work together to tie in true crime true, and paranormal. Paranormal in the and same episode. I yeah. think the next one we do like that is going to um, be amazing. Yes. We just, we jive so well. And this one being our last one, I actually feel kind of sad because I'm going to miss recording and for a couple of weeks, um, <laughs> a couple of weeks and being able to provide information to you guys. And, um, I'm I can't believe that we're already closing season one like it's gone by so damn fast yes like yes. it's just mind-blowing so well. to me and we so yeah so well <sighs> we got many seasons to come so mm -hmm. yes I we do I got a lot of ideas for season two I'm very excited to yeah, work on those too. so yeah girl me too do a little bit more digging. I like doing the ones that are like Robert Frada. I don't think I've ever heard anybody cover him. And so I like doing these ones where like the not a lot of people have covered. Yeah. So it's new information yes. for you guys. Um, but then I like revisiting like the, you know, like the one we just did too. Yeah. So we can give our take on it mm -hmm. and how we feel and stuff. So. It'd be nice if we could visit. I would love to see. I think I saw some pictures online. Where you can see the scratches on oh, the ceiling. Yeah, where his axe was yes. so hard it cut right yes. into the ceiling. Ugh. Again, amazing. What is, that's just a okay. when we have enough mula. Yes. Thanks to our Patreon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and our Patreon, you can find at patreon.com and just search what happens after, after dark. dark and look for our purple box with the ghost in it. And, and you know that's us. Donate. Well, we won't be ungrateful. We'll no. be, be rewarded, recognized. And yes. Yes. So you can find us on Spotify. 
Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Samsung Podcasts, Podcast Inbox, Deezer, Listen Notes, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, RSS, and TuneIn. Yes. And um, email us. Please. Please. You're going to have a two-week period now, well, almost three weeks, where you it would be all about you. You guys, if you just send in those stories in season two, we promise we'll have listeners. We'll mail. have it. Yeah, yes. we would definitely have it. That'll be so amazing to share your stories. Mm-hmm. That would be like a dream come true for us. Yeah. So please email us what happens after dark ll at gmail.com. And on the sites where you listen to us, don't forget to rate us, to oh, share and, and to everything. Follow. Yeah. And tell people, please, we appreciate it. Um, you can find us on social media at Facebook mm-hmm. as Luna Wadley. Instagram is what happens after dark ll. TikTok is WAD, W-H-A-D, which stands for What Happens After Dark, 1210. And again, our Patreon site, guys. And I hope you... Patreon.com. Yeah, Patreon.com. Look for What Happens After Dark. And I hope you guys have enjoyed season one. Yes, me too. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed enjoyed recording and prepping this for you. So hopefully you enjoy listening. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We love you so much. And And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. So, yeah. Bye. Bye.